Look, taking series and we're looking at the evangelistic passages in the book of Isaiah. Some people have called, I'm sorry, I had to clear my throat, so I got a cough drop that I'm trying to get rid of. But uh, um, some people have called Isaiah the, the fifth gospel or the gospel of Isaiah because there are so many passages in the book of Isaiah that deal with salvation. And of course, chapter 7, we looked at uh, that last week, and of course, uh, uh, the virgin birth. And today, again, we see that uh, actually uh, chapter 7 through 9 deal uh, with uh, the promise of the Messiah. And uh, they're especially now, seventh, uh, verse, chapter 1 through 39, deal with the judgment of God upon Israel and how that Israel is going downhill fast. And then uh, preaching, remember he said, I'm, you're going to be preaching to people that hear, but they hear not. They're, gonna, they're preaching, and you're preaching to people that should see, but they see not. And uh, how, how would you like to be Isaiah? Where he said, Lord, send me. And the Lord says, it's okay, I'm going to put the words in your mouth, but you're going to be a failure. By today's standard, he would be a failure. He, wasn't, he didn't have the big crowds in a stadium and everybody, you know, singing, uh, uh, you know, to God be the glory. I mean, he preached and he was rejected. In fact, uh, tradition has it that he was one of the Hebrews talking about how they were sown asunder. He was put into a log and sown in two. And that's uh, probably during the days of Manasseh. So he, he wasn't a very popular prophet. Neither was Elijah, was he? Are you the one who's troubling Israel? The king said that to him. Obadiah wasn't. Uh, Amos definitely wasn't. Did you read those? Uh, Jeremiah was the weeping prophet. And uh, so the Bible tells us to rejoice and be, uh, whenever people say all manner of evil against us falsely, Jesus said, rejoice and be exceedingly glad because so persecuted they the prophets before you. So the prophets weren't really what we would call successful today. And yet they were faithful. And today, of course, uh, uh, 3,000 or almost 3,000 years later, uh, they are still extremely beneficial to us. In fact, uh, the Old Testament tells us, and in fact, uh, everything about this Bible, folks, is um, about Jesus Christ. Everything points to the Lord Jesus. And that's, again, in the book of Deuteronomy. I've uh, been studying, of course, one uh, quote that I that I ran across. It says, if you don't understand the passage, look to Jesus. There's something about there in it. And that is so true as you start really uh, looking at uh, old difficult passages and you can't understand exactly what they're saying. Look to Jesus and look to the cross. Because as you see in your notes, uh, as I put uh, the Bible is a revelation of Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, he was predicted. In the Gospels, he was revealed. In the book of Acts, he was preached. In the epistles, he is explained. And in the book of Revelation, he is expected. Everything about this book, in fact, uh, anybody know sign language? You know, sign language, Jesus is this. In other words, nails in his hands. And book is this. And sign language, uh, the Bible is the Jesus book. And uh, that's good theology there. But this is, folks, the Bible is the Jesus book. Everything about it from Genesis to Revelation is about Jesus Christ. And so even though he goes through all these different uh, 
condemnations of nations. In the end, he points to the Lord Jesus. And the predictions are there. And they're so subtle. And we're going to be looking at that this morning. So we begin in verse 1 of chapter 9. Nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed. And when at first he lightly esteemed the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterwards more heavily oppressed her by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan and the Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death Upon them a light has shined. You have multiplied the nations, increased its joy. They rejoice before you according to the joy of the harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you have broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulders, the rod of his oppressor, as in the days of Midian. And every warrior's sandal from the noisy battles and the garments rolled in blood will be used for burning and fuel of fire. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and to establish it with justice or judgment and justice from that time forward and even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Now, Father, we pray that you will bless again the preaching of your word this morning. Lord, open our hearts. May we have a greater appreciation for this holy book that you've given us, how that every word of it points to you, how that uh, we can glean great truths out of it. And not only, Lord, look to the blessings of the past, but the hope for the future. Oh, Lord, we thank you that every word that you have given us is a word, Lord, that bring, to bring us closer to you. Oh, Lord, point people to you through us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we would take the setting of this passage, it really doesn't make sense until we understand exactly what he's talking about. Of course, in chapter 8, the rest of chapter 7, and on into chapter 8, Paul, uh, or Isaiah goes back to uh, the condemnation of the people and preaching to them about their sin and about uh, getting right with the Lord and about how the Assyrians are coming in. And boy, I mean, you, just, you people have really, you're turning away from God. And the more you turn away from God, the worse it gets for you. And you don't realize it, but you've got, I mean, you've got all this political intrigue going on between the kings and everything. But there's Assyria over there, and she's about ready to wipe everybody out. And so he's talking to them about it. But the people, the more he talks to them, remember hearing, they will hear not, they just turn their head from it. And that's what frightens me today is the more we preach the gospel, the more the people scoff at it today. And we see that in verse 19 of chapter 8, he says, And when they say to you, seek those who are mediums and wizards, necromancers is a term that we would use. That's the people, notice he says, who whisper and mutter and they do not seek God. 
Shall they seek the dead on the behalf? That's the necromancy. You know, we got one of the, uh, one of the most greatest fads or things going in Washington today is people channeling. I mentioned a politician or two uh, back a few weeks ago uh, who, uh, well, Hillary Clinton uh, regularly um, channels uh, Eleanor Roosevelt and other people. You know, and uh, then there, she's not the other one. Nancy Reagan did it too. And so it's on both sides. Yeah, people look at, they, they want to call up people from the dead. I mean, we got some weird stuff going on in Washington today. That's, that's what we call necromancy. And that's what he's saying here. They seek the dead on the behalf of the living. So there's nothing new under the sun, is there? I mean, it's just always out there. And he says, to the, uh, to the law and to the testimony. If they do not speak according to his word, it is because there is no light in them. They can't speak because there's no light. They've, they've turned away from the light. Uh, they will pass through it, uh, have hard pressed and hungry, and it shall happen when they are hungry, they will be enraged and curse the king. So bad times are coming, folks, and when they do, they are going to curse the government they're going to curse the king, even though they're, they're just like the king, like king, like people. And yet they're going to curse their, their government. They're going to curse God whenever things really get rough. And then they shall look to the earth and they're going to bow down. To, they're, going to, you know, they're going to pantheism and see trouble and darkness, gloom and anguish. And they will be driven into darkness, driven into darkness. Psalm 88, it really echoes this, the idea of darkness being my friend. I'm used to being dark. That reminds me, I can't read those passages without remembering back my junior year here in high school. My junior year in high school, there was a, um, a, uh, an intern who came in to teach senior English or junior English uh, to a bunch of us teenagers. And she was a real beauty from Florida State University. All of a sudden, all of us young junior boys uh, got, took a great in, uh, interest in English. But she, uh, but she also happened to be a very good teacher. But uh, I do remember her taking this passage, and, or not this passage, but uh, talking about uh, uh, Hello Darkness, My Old Friend. It was a song that had just come out by Simon and Garfunkel, who were Jews. And they did, and if you, uh, and she really gave us a real appreciation of how that people put, you know, how that uh, poetry comes together and so forth. But, uh, you know, it began, the whole song is about darkness. And this is what he's saying they're driven into darkness. And there's something about the Jew who is, uh, of course, rejecting the Lord. If you'll notice those songs, they are in minor keys or they are, they are sad songs. And because men love darkness rather than light, they're mesmerized by darkness. Yeah, what is it? They, they, um, they hear without hearing. I forget all the, the, the terminology of that song. But, that, but it really goes back to even... Uh, Isaiah chapter one about they see without seeing and they hear without hearing and all that. And he was talking about the hopelessness of the world. And of course, that was the Vietnam generation. And so you had, uh, uh, you can't believe uh, that we're on the eve of destruction and all those different songs that were out. Don't want, don't want to learn war no more, no more, no more. All those different uh, things that were 
back then. And a lot of that, and we'll see in just a moment, how that, a lot of that comes right out of the Bible. And yet they missed it. And so we see in chapter 9, verse 1, Nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed. So he's saying that Israel's not finished. Israel's going to go through some major problems. But God's covenant is still here. He says, yes, there's something on the other side for Israel. Now, she's going to suffer some horrible things. And we know, and we see even today, from the river to the sea, you know, Palestine will be free. Folks, that is saying we're going to wipe Israel off the face of the map. And we've got kids, I mean, a third, well, let's see, I forget all the term, but a large portion of American youth are anti-Israel today because they've been taught that in the schools. This DEI, diversity, they're proving that it, that is anti-Semitic stuff that they're teaching our kids in first grade. So here we see that we're, well, folks, the more that we turn away from God, the more that we turn into darkness and we, and as a result of turning into darkness, we see that even, you know, God said, I'll bless those who bless the Jew and I will curse those who curse the Jew. And when you turn away from God, you, you, you curse the very things that God blesses. And is a, who would have ever thought that we would have seen things in America today that we're seeing against the Jew? Now, I'm, from what I understand, you go to Palestine or go to the Middle East, they say some of the nicest people you're going to run into is Arabs. You know, they're very good people. I mean, but they have a, but then again, some of the most uh, obnoxious people you run into is the Jew. Now, that's not always true, but you know, I, I know both, I've, I've known Arab and Jews on both sides of that. And there, folks, there's no way to reconcile it because they, there's something ingrained within them. But uh, if you really want to get into Republicans and Democrats, just get with a Jew or get with an Arab and there's, they don't see the other side. It's just amazing how that is. And so it's not, it, I, could, I don't want to get too deep into that, but if you've ever been around it, you, it's one of the strangest things you'll ever see. But that's because God made it that way all the way back to Esau and Jacob, did he not? And Abraham. But here we see that uh, he says there's a gloom over Israel because now Israel is turned away from her God. And the more she turns away from the God, her God, the more unhappy she begins, she is. And it's not going to be long before the northern ten tribes are going to be wiped out and Israel or and the, southern, the uh, Judah, as we saw last week with uh, Ahaz, is uh, the cities there are going to be burned and wiped out too, except for Jerusalem. And remember Hezekiah and the 185,000. Folks, simply because Jerusalem was spared didn't mean that there was not a slaughter before then. And so we see that uh, Israel is going to suffer. And the more she turns away from God, the more she's going to suffer to finally, I'm going to turn, I'm going to scatter her to the four corners of the world. And that's what he has done today. But we see that um, he says, and he says, but, uh, but when he first, he, he was lightly esteemed. In other words, God didn't put a whole lot of emphasis on these two tribes. But he says, 
In the land of Zebulun, which was one of the children of Leah, of Jacob, and of Naphtali, another one of the children, he says, uh, and afterwards, more heavenly, uh, uh, heavenly pressed her by the way of sea beyond the Jordan in the Galilee of the Gentiles. The people walked in darkness have seen the great light. So there's a light coming. And he's going to be the light of the world. And so here we see a prediction. You say, well, I don't understand all that. Well, as we said, the Lord is revealed in the Gospels. And if you turn over, and I, and I, in the notes, I just went ahead and wrote out the verses for you. But it, over in, uh, in Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 16, uh, whenever uh, the Lord heard that John the Baptist had been uh, decapitated, or that he was in prison and been decapitated by Herod, he said, Now when Jesus heard that John had been put into prison, he departed to Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the way of the sea, in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali. So Zebulun was where, was where Nazareth was. Naphtali was where Capernaum, where he did so much of his work, the feeding of the 5,000 and all that. The light came into that area, just exactly like the Lord said, and even Matthew tells us that that it may be fulfilled, which was spoken of the prophet Isaiah, saying, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, the Sea of Galilee, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The Galilee of the Gentiles? Yes, uh, Manasseh was still uh, nominally owning the land east of the Jordan. But by the time the Lord Jesus came, the Gentiles had pretty well taken over. Remember, as the Lord crossed over on the side of the uh, the east side of the, of the Galilee, he went to the maniac of Gadara. And what was he doing? He was taking care of pigs and people, Jews, did not take care of pigs. And so again, it was the place of the Gentiles on that side all of a sudden instead of uh, Manasseh and others. He said, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And upon those who sat in, uh, in the region and shadow of death Light has dawned from that time. And from that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And so we see that the Lord Jesus came and we know that he tells us that uh, in him was light and the light shineth in darkness and the darkness comprehended it not. John 1, 5. And also we see in whenever the Lord Jesus, now this was, it's interesting how the, uh, Isaiah is talking 400 years in advance, or over 400 years, almost 500 years, uh, but he's talking in the present. So we're going to see this um, shortly. And here we see that 500 years later, the Lord is doing exactly what uh, Isaiah said. But there was a lot of things that happened between uh, that time. And when the Lord Jesus came. And one of them was that the Lord did destroy uh, Jerusalem or allow it to be destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar, not the Assyrians, but by the Babylonians. And then they were able to come back. And you remember the story of Ezra and Nehemiah. And then Daniel said that, uh, you know, they're going to still suffer some very difficult times. And there's going to be a guy named Antiochus, and he's going to come and desecrate the temple. 
And all these things happen. And then you could read some of that in uh, the Maccabees or some of those books between the Old and New Testament. Some of those books are accurate. Some of them are just, they should be thrown away. Uh, but uh, but uh, they're pretty, but they tell us about uh, how the temple was so desecrated, that new temple that was, uh, was rebuilt after by Ezra and Nehemiah. And uh, that, uh, <coughs> that it was desecrated and that... Uh, the Maccabees and Judas Maccabeus actually won the battle and was able to uh, take care of uh, Antiochus and the uh, problems there. But uh, they were down to nothing. And that, but there was a little light uh, lamp. They didn't have any oil. But that light just kept on burning and burning and burning, according to Josephus. And as a result of that, that's where we get the term Hanukkah today, the festival of lights. It's not a biblical uh, festival, but it is around our Christmas time. And it's the festival of lights. And they will have candles all over the place. Well, the Lord Jesus, whenever he went in chapter 8, he went to a festival. And that was the festival he went to, the festival of lights, Hanukkah. And all these lights are around them. And what did the Lord say? I am the light of the world. Folks, everything about the Bible is about Jesus. Remember later on, uh, whenever the Lord Jesus uh, was raised from the dead and the two people on the uh, road to Emmaus, they were wondering. And the Lord opened that beginning with Moses and he preached to them Jesus. You go to the uh, book of Acts chapter 8 and you see uh, Philip as he goes and talks to the Ethiopian eunuch and he reads back in the book of Isaiah about this, about the Son of Man. And how that he was sorry. And what, what happened? We see that, that Philip opened the Bible and preached to him what? Jesus. Everything about this Bible is about the Lord Jesus. It's so interesting because the Pharisees would come to him and talk to him. And he'd say, I'm it. I'm him. I'm he. And they would get so furious with him. He says, you know, I and my father am one. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the, everything is about me. Now, either he was a very arrogant slob or either he was who he said he was. And the Bible says, without faith, it is impossible to please him. But they that come unto God must believe that he is. He was, he is, and he will come. But it is impossible to please the Father unless we come to the Father by him, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we see that he is the light of the world. And he says, and when they, they uh, he says, and, he, and this is a fulfillment then of that Galilean ministry that the Lord Jesus had. Galilee of the Gentiles, both Jew and Gentile, came to know the Lord Jesus. And they walked in darkness. They have seen a great light. They who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon the light, upon them the light has shined. And folks, I don't know what's going to happen to the United States today, but I do know what's going to happen on the other side. The Lord Jesus is coming again. As he came the first time, he's going to come again. I'm looking forward to that. Now, of course, we know that as, if you're a Christian, we're looking for the Lord to come and we're, where we're going to meet him. We'll meet him in the air. 
But then the Lord promises that after that great day of Armageddon, you keep hearing, I hear about it all the time. Oh, this is going to be Armageddon. We're going to start World War III, Armageddon. I'm not worried about Armageddon. It's going to happen seven years after I'm out of here. And I hope you are too, because we're going to meet the Lord in the air. Are we not? Things are going to get pretty rough. I mean, I talk a lot about, uh, uh, we talk a lot about uh, uh, what's going to happen to America. I don't know. I want the Lord to come before he destroys America, but even if he destroys the United States, uh, the Lord's still, gonna, still on the throne and he's going to come again. And this is the same thing he's saying to, in Isaiah uh, chapter 9. They don't know what's going to happen next. I mean, can you imagine knowing that there's something over on the east side of the Jordan and those big, uh, and you hear about them and you hear how mean they are. Uh, we talked about the Assyrians. Uh, that's another teacher I had, a very good teacher in high school history teacher and he said that the Assyrians were the Nazis of their day they were they were mean people they loved to skin people alive and watch them die while they and just saw that was one of their favorite ways of killing people and so and you can imagine what it would feel like to uh, to be in a uh, city knowing that if uh, the city fell you're going to get skinned alive I mean that's not fun not even a not a good prospect, let's put it that way. Uh, but here we see that the Lord says, no matter what happens, there's a light coming. And folks, I don't know what's going to happen. Well, do we not see some vicious stuff? Who would have ever thought that we would know that there are people that, were jo- that, were, that, were, that are rejoicing in America because babies' heads were cut off and eyes were poked out? I mean, we're talking about some vicious stuff that's going on today right here in our own country. No, God, forgive us. God, help us. God, help us as a church to help people turn from darkness to light. The darker the world gets. And notice we see back in verse 8, they were driven into darkness. They were so deep in their sin and their necromancy and their their false cults and religions that they just kept... they rejected God and so they were just sucked into the sins of the world. How sad that is that we see people when they turn away from God, the devil has a way. When we get out from the wings of God, the everlasting arms, then we open ourselves up to all the wiles and the cruelty of that great destroyer called Satan. And so we see that the nation was going that way, but he says there's promise. Because those who turn to God, they're going to see him. And folks, everybody who was looking for God in the Gospels, whether it was Simeon and Anna, if it was whoever, the Greeks, anybody, you know the Syrophoenician woman, anybody who was looking for God found him. Anybody who was looking for, for, for the Savior found him. It's amazing. And of course, then he opened the eyes of others. But, uh, you know, Simeon and I, I love those stories because they were waiting. They were, you know, they were, they were waiting in the temple, waiting for him. But when they saw him, they recognized him, even though he was a child. Unto us, a child is born. They knew what the scripture said. And so God reveals himself to us in the New Testament. He predicts himself to us in the Old Testament. So we see that he, he turned the, from darkness to light. And that's what, John, or what, uh, what um, Paul says over as he talks to 
Agrippa. He says, my whole mission is to turn people from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to, to God. And folks, that's our mission, is for people to see the light. So let the world see that, or, or let your so, let light so shine before the world that they shall see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. We are the light of the world, folks. Let's burn brighter and brighter. And so the light came, the light shines in darkness. The darkness comprehends it not until the Lord speaks to the heart. And may he speak to the heart through people like you and me. But then in verses three through nine, this is some, some murky stuff. Again, you always look to the Lord whenever you don't understand the passage. But he says, you have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice, they rejoice before you according to the joy of the harvest. As men rejoice when they divide the spoil and when they have broken the yoke of his burden. Now, when is that going to happen? Of course, we know it's going to be the millennium, whenever the Lord rules and reigns. The staff of his shoulder. Whenever you see the word shoulder, and you'll see it later on, the government shall be upon his shoulder. That means he shoulders government. That means he's the underpinnings of government. So whenever you see that something about God, upon God's shoulder, folks, he carries you. Uh, that, remember that uh, poem about... Uh, uh, the footprints in the sand, and there's only one set of footprints, he carries you. And he carries the government upon his shoulder too. Everything is carried about him. He says, and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of the oppressor in the day of Midian. Now you have to know a little bit about the Bible. Anybody remember Gideon and Midian? If you don't know that story, go back to the book of Judges and read it. But he says, uh, it looks like uh, nothing is happening. And what can you do with 300 soldiers against tens of thousands? But if God be for us, what? Who can be against us? So there again, we see that he says, and every, every warrior's sandal from the noisy battle, the garments rolled in blood will be used for the burning. Boy, that's some gross stuff. I mean, what is he talking about there? Obviously, now, the one thing that the Isaiah does that just confounds the Jews and the rabbis, especially between the Old and New Testament, to no end, is they, the, uh, Isaiah does not separate the first coming from the second coming. He doesn't separate the incarnation and the Messiah. That's what they were looking for. But they were looking for this, this Lord who was going to, do this very thing, that he was going to destroy the enemies of Israel. But they didn't know that he came first to redeem. In fact, many rabbis between the Old and New Testament thought maybe there was two messiahs. There was one going to be the suffering messiah, Isaiah 53, and there was going to be the conquering messiah. Even John the Baptist didn't understand. Are you the messiah? If you're the messiah, why am I in this jail? And the Lord told what he said, there's not a man born of woman greater than John the Baptist, but the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. It doesn't mean that we're better than him, but it says you and I know more about salvation and what God did on the cross than John the Baptist did before the cross. They, and there'll be times we'll see in Isaiah where Isaiah says, or where even Peter says, Isaiah didn't even know what he was talking about. 
but we do. I mean, can you imagine that? I mean, uh, Isaiah writing this as if it is going to happen tomorrow, and yet he's saying, now, Lord, are you sure about this? You know, Galilee, uh, all that. I mean, you know, what does it mean about those people? There are a bunch of wicked people up there, and the Assyrians are going to wipe them out anyway, so what are we talking about? He had no idea about history. But, but it is, folks, the Bible and, the, and creation is about his story. We begin with creation. God created everybody, whether the, uh, the scholars in America like it or not. We are it is he that created us and not we ourselves. There was such thing as a flood. There was you know, all these different things that the world scoffs at. One day when they stand before God, they will find it to be true. When people tell me, they'll say, I don't believe that. You're just a bunch of holy rollers down there. I say, one day you'll believe it because you'll stand before the Lord Jesus and every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. One day, all of us are going to stand before God. But the worst thing about it is those words of terror. You think terror. Think about whenever that person who's rejected God stands before them before an almighty God and all of his shame and all of his sin. And the Lord says, depart from me for I what? Never knew you. Folks, I'm so glad that I'll be on the backside of that throne because my sins have already been forgiven. My sins and I'll be watching. I'll be in, a, in the court watching all that. That's, we can get into all that later. But uh, you understand what I'm saying. If you've been with us for a while, you know which side of that throne you want to be on whenever every knee shall bow. I want to be behind the throne or beside the throne. I want to be in the court uh, galleries watching what God's going to do because if you're standing in front of the Lord, you're in a place of condemnation. A crisis eternity. But here we know he's talking about, uh, if you look at this passage here in chapter verse 5, we're talking about Armageddon there. Yeah, the Lord's going to come and he's going to destroy the world. And we know in the book of Revelation that uh, the, it's going to be so bad that uh, the blood is going to be up to the horse's bridle. That's a pretty bad war, isn't it? So Isaiah mixes it all together. We don't, they don't understand. You know, there's both a suffering Messiah and a conquering Messiah. They were looking for, you know, the Jews say, hey, listen, we're pretty good people and we just, want, we just need somebody to overthrow Rome for us. And the Lord says, no, no, you need to get your hearts right with me first. And then we'll take care of Rome. And so, again, we know that some of the greatest adversaries the Lord had were those who rejected him as their Messiah. And yet those who heard him, they understood this next passage. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. Go over and read uh, Simeon and Anna. My eyes have seen him. They understood. Hey, here he is. That's him. The Holy Spirit showed them that. And to us a child is, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. That's the idea. He's going to carry government one day. And his name shall be called. And we're going to look at these names later. But remember what we said about Emmanuel. The Lord is called many different names. And those names are attributes to him. 
A lot of times in the Bible, you'll see that, uh, that the name that the person is given is part of their character. Jacob means supplanter or trickster. And later on, he's called Israel, which is child of God. And we'll see that uh, Jacob, sometimes it's called Jacob because he's in the flesh, trickster. And then he's called Israel as a child of God. Abraham was, means father. Abraham, or Abram, is father. Abraham is father of what? Many nations. So there's a lot of those, there's different names. So, uh, we talked about Isaiah and his name and so forth. But so here we see that, uh, that th- his name shall be called Wonderful. That's the quality of God. Counselor. We talked about the mighty counsel of God on Wednesday night. Wasn't that a, I mean, I just love getting into that. God's a great counselor. He straightens, up, straightens out our longings and teaches us his word. And he's the mighty, notice his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. The mighty God. Simeon and Anna are looking at him there in the temple as a baby. But they're thinking mighty God. The everlasting Father the prince of peace. And of his increase, the government shall be peace. So, and what did, uh, what, did the, uh, what did the Lord say? Of course, the angel came to them uh, and he said, uh, do not be afraid for behold, I bring you good tidings and uh, great joy uh, which shall be to all people. And we saw that as far as uh, earlier. But then he said, therefore, if the Lord makes you free, you're free from the burdens of sin. But then with peace, he says, remember what, the, what, uh, what was proclaimed by those angels to the shepherds? And they said, glory to God in the highest on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. And then, you know, that's the one thing the world is looking for. And we, can, we have the United Nations. And the United Nations, if you know about the building there is a sculpture out front and of course governments think that they're going to bring peace of course uh, government's going to we're worshiping environment today and so uh, we're going to bring a total perfection environmentally governmentally governmentally and every other way Uh, just listen to the experts today Listen to the very people that the more you listen to them or the more people listen to them, the worse the world gets. The world cries peace, peace, but there is no peace. And the more that we take uh, the experts' uh, uh, suggestions, the worse it gets. Someone has said that X is an unknown quality and a spurt is a drip under pressure. But, uh, you know, we have experts all over the, the news wave telling us what they think the future is going to hold. But if you turn back to, there's a sculptor we mentioned in, uh, in uh, before the United Nations. And you know what it is? Of a man beating his sword into plowshares. Again, something that comes from the Bible. Do you think that peace is going to come from the United Nations? Absolutely not. But look what God says if you just turn back to, to Isaiah chapter 2. Ain't going to learn war no more, no more, no more. Oh boy, I grew up in that generation. And they took a lot of it from the Bible. But notice he says in verse 4, he shall be the judge between nations. Not the United Nations, but he shall be the judge. And rebuke many people. 
They shall beat their swords in the plowshares and their spears in the pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Folks, that's going to come when the Lord Jesus comes again. And he plants his feet on Mount of Olives and he's going to rule and reign for a thousand years. And not only will people not uh, need to, uh, to convert their implements from war to peacetime, but God will even take the hatred and he's going to take the, the animosity between man out of people's hearts. No, folks, we're all in wars. I mean, why do we have to have rules and everything? Why do we have to, even as a church, we've got to set out, because there's people with all kinds of thoughts and so forth. And so we try to avoid war by saying, this is the way we do things. And if you don't like us, then just hate us. Basically, isn't it? But there's coming a day when that won't be necessary anymore because we will be united in love for our Lord Jesus Christ. That's not going to be true today because the more that we turn away from the Lord Jesus, the more hatred you notice when you get into the book of Hosea and uh, other books and you see that the more they turned away from God, cursing and, all, and, and hatred and murder, all these things that were happening. Folks, one thing, and I don't, I don't want to get off on a tangent right now, but uh, what really appalls me today is you can't turn on the radio you can't watch a movie these days without both men and women saying some of the most vile, filthy things. Trash mouth. I mean, it really said, my wife and I were out eating the other night and fortunately she didn't hear it, but there was a lady on the next, and she was using some of the most coarse language and she was just a young, pretty girl. I mean, whatever, you know, she wasn't an ugly old witch or whatever. She was a very attractive... And you're saying, oh my, how can, oh, you know, it just bothers you. And so that's the way the world is getting more and more vile. And the more vile they get and the more hatred there is. I worked one time as temporary and I just would go into the break room and you would listen to people talking. And they were talking about having to get off work to go to a divorce court child custody hearings, uh, drug addict, all these different things that they had to get off work to go to because of the sins that were so prevalent in their lives. Oh, folks, we are turning more and more away from God. And the more we do, the more we turn to government, that we need somebody to, and we have people saying, well, we got to have somebody watch over us. Even they have songs like that. Well, folks, we need somebody to watch over. And it's, it's not the government, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. But the more we turn away from God, the more that we are driven into darkness. Isaiah chapter 8. And the more the world is driven into darkness, folks, the more that they need to see the light of the gospel. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you, what? Free. Freedom in the Lord Jesus Christ. Burdens are lifted at Calvary. Lives are straightened out at Calvary. The light of the world is the Lord Jesus Without him, there is no hope, there's no help, there's no comfort, there's no peace. Do you know him as your personal savior? Yes, our sins, though they be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. If those who will turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and accept him as their personal savior. Do you know him? 
Oh, the government may help you a little bit, but they will not help you for eternity. Oh, you may go out and have a fun for a season. It's fun to get up for some people and just throw, paint the talent red and have their big fling. But I got to come home and suffer the hangovers. But oh, my friend, there's peace, everlasting peace with this one who gave his life for you, the Lord Jesus Christ, the light of the Gentiles, the light of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ. The light shines in darkness and the darkness comprehended it not until those people in the darkness turn to the light. Whosoever will may come. The spirit and the bride, the end of the book, of the, uh, the last book of the Bible, the spirit and the bride, the church, says come. Come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Come to the light of the world. Know him. Turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan and to the Savior. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the promise of your coming. Just as surely as you came the first time, we know that you're coming again. Just as surely as we see the world that was in darkness the first time is getting darker and darker and men are waxing worse and worse. And yet, Lord, the glorious light is coming one day. We know because we've read the last book, the last chapters. We know that it might get pretty rough here on earth until you come. We know that uh, there's going to be more and more confusion, more hatred, more murders, more unhappiness, more oppression. All those things, Lord, until you come. But Lord, even as, you, as, uh, as the, the prophets prayed, even so, come, Lord Jesus. Oh, Lord, deliver us from the burden of sin. And Lord, may we be able to point others to you. May the world, may Belvedere turn from darkness to light. May they see the, the light of the gospel shine through the lights that are here this morning. Bless your people, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.